Welcome for those of you joining us online. Um, I have a question for you. How many of you had had the privilege of teaching your 16-year-old to drive? I want to see those hands. Okay. Not, not yet. How terrifying was that experience? <laughs> yeah, you're speechless. That's how terrifying it was. I remember my mom um, teaching me to drive in her car. And I also remember the harsh stops. Took me a while to figure out the brake. Um, and the wide turns I would make as I was learning. It took a lot for her to release control of the steering wheel and the brake. It took a lot. But she did it. She had to release control, let me take the driver's seat. And, um, you know, nothing against her. I totally get her. She was not gentle in her instruction. Um, she let me know where the panic was happening. Um, and no matter um, how much she tensed her body, she could not control what I was doing. No matter how hard she tensed up, I, I kept hitting the brake too late. Um, but see, being in the passenger seat is a completely different experience when you're used to being the one driving, correct? And I don't know if this happens to you, but now that I know how to drive, um, or at least, you know, for the most part, um, when someone else is a driving, I like have an imaginary brake that I'm applying. Or I like do this to the dashboard, right? I'm just like, oh, you know, like, um, it's just something that happens because I'm not in control. Um, or, you know, when, when we're driving to like the grocery store or something and, and it's Carlos driving instead of me, I'm like, <clears throat> what? there was a perfect parking spot over there. Why did you park all the way over here, right? Because we, 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 we have our way. We have our way of doing things. We're the, we're the ones usually in control, so we like to do things our way. And the truth is that we prefer being in control, yeah. right? We prefer being in control. And in your life, in our life with Jesus, we do that too. Right. You know, we, we like being at the wheel, and we sing, Jesus, take the wheel. But he's actually in the passenger seat most of the time. And um, we'd rather keep him there until problems come up or sickness or something difficult. And then we are like, and we, it's kind of like an only when I need you, Jesus, way of living. If we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, I tend to do that. A lot. Um, so would you believe me if I told you that the way you can experience power or victory in your life starts with surrender? Thank you. See, we see it in the example of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says that Jesus surrendered his will. He said, not my will, but yours be done. And then days later, he experienced the greatest victory that the world has ever known, a victory that has forever changed the course of our life. And this is what I want you to know, that when you choose the path of daily surrender, that is when you will start walking in step with God's spirit. And why surrender? Because it takes surrendering our selfish ways, my selfish ways, to allow God's spirit to lead. Because then that's when the good stuff can grow. The good stuff of faithfulness 
and gentleness and self-control. And how many of you here would agree or those joining us online would agree that we want to be more faithful? I want to be more faithful. I want to be more gentle, especially with my loved ones. I want to have more self-control, especially when it comes to sweets. Like, I need that. And um, if that's you and you're joining us online, you can comment me if you want. You know, there is freedom in confession. Um, <clears throat> but the truth is we want it for ourselves, but we also want it for others, right? We want the people in our lives to be more gentle with us, to be more faithful, to practice self-control. Um, and the truth is we've all experienced the opposite of the good stuff. We've all experienced um, love that loses faith, a harsh action or a word, an impulse that leads to regret, or, and, and most of the times it's, it's hurtful and it's disappointing. And although we want the good, the reality is that when it comes to living out the good stuff, we are all on the struggle bus my friend T calls it. We're all on the struggle bus. So hi, I'm Ilsian. Welcome to Evergreen uh, Christian Center. And I'm on the struggle bus. And joining me today on the struggle bus is Riker. He is our worship pastor. And we're going to go uh, going back and forth today. But it's mostly going to be Riker teaching us today. Um, and Carlos and I have had the honor and the privilege of getting to know him, his wife Alicia, and their three-year-old sweet girl Eden. Um, and so we're glad you're here and that you said yes to Jesus and Evergreen. And I'm glad to be here. Like Ilsian said, my name is Riker. Uh, I'm the worship pastor here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, man. I am, I am so honored and excited to be here with you all this morning, those joining us online. Um, since being here at Evergreen, it has been nothing but a joy and a gift and just receiving encouragement and support. So... I love you guys. I am so excited to share a message with you guys this morning. So for the past several weeks, we've been going through a sermon series called The Good Stuff. Can you say The Good Stuff? The Good Stuff. And we've been exploring what it means and what it looks like as followers of Jesus to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so, so far, we've unpacked love. I'm going to try and do this from memory. Love, joy, peace patience, kindness, and goodness. Good job. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Different memory. Come on. Awesome. Man. And we've discovered that it's not our own willpower that we can bear this fruit, but it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to do that. And the only way that we can cultivate a life filled with the good stuff or the good fruit of the Holy Spirit is to continually surrender to the Spirit to daily surrender to the Spirit. All right, so if you have your Bibles or you have your phone app, uh, please turn with us to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. But before we're going to read this passage, let's all pray together. Come, Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for being with us here. Thank you for revealing who you are and what you desire through your word. Come, Holy Spirit, would you move in power? It's not by our own power or might or wisdom or charisma, 
but it's by your spirit through which we will see true transformation in our lives and we will bear the good stuff, the good fruit. Jesus, have your way with us and during this time. In your name, amen. All right. Let's read Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. It says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And so the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Galatia, which is in modern-day central Turkey. And Paul is scolding and correcting the church in Galatia because they have been misled and persuaded by false teachers. The Galatians need to be reminded that a person is made right with God by faith in Christ Jesus and not by simply observing the law. Jesus has set us free from the power of sin and has empowered us to live and to love through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in, Paul, in Galatians, Paul is reminding them that they are free but must make this decision every day, either to live according to your sinful nature, the flesh, your selfishness, your way of doing life apart from God, or you can walk according to the Spirit. And so how we cultivate the landscape of our lives and our hearts is very important because it has consequences. And we just read Galatians chapter 5, but then in verse uh, chapter 6, Paul goes on to explain the results of the decision that we make. He says in chapter 6, verse 8, you will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. And so let's not get tired of doing what is good, for at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And so now back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Paul says that if you're living your life apart from God through sexual immorality, hostility, quarreling, drunkenness, uh, fits of anger, selfish ambition. Paul says, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You will harvest death and decay. But on the other hand, Paul says that if you're cultivating your life by continually surrendering to the Spirit or walking with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, you will harvest the good stuff. Can you say the good stuff? The good stuff. You will harvest the good stuff, the good fruit of the Spirit. You will have a life characterized and marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And this morning, we're going to unpack faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the ways that we can cultivate and produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit is by continually surrendering to the Spirit. Because we all know especially living in Oregon, what happens to things we leave unattended, right? The perfect example is our yard. Whether it's the front yard or the backyard, it was unattended completely during winter. 
So now that spring has come, so have the weeds. The weeds just completely overtaken the yard because we've left it unattended. And the stuff inside of you, inside of me, the good and the not so good, it needs to be tended to. Otherwise, um, it just, it will be like the bluebells and we have a little box that holds a lamp and there's flowers in there, beautiful bluebells. But see, the problem is they, they had bloomed, but because all these weeds were blocking them, we couldn't really enjoy the beauty of the flower completely until we pulled out those weeds. And I think in the same sense, um, I, the unattended stuff in our heart will hurt the people that we're meant to love we will, um, the beauty that God's put in us, that he's created, will be obscured by the things that we ignore if we don't tend to them. And faithfulness, faithfulness is one of those things that helps us to love people. So how do we define faithfulness? How do we define it? So faithfulness can be described as uh, a sense of stability for other people. You're not flaky, you're not flighty. It's constancy. It's how you're consistent in how you treat other people. Uh, faithful people are not quote unquote fair weather friends. And faithful people are a gift to those around them. And uh, furthermore, faithfulness in the Greek, the language, um, that Paul uses, it's this word pistis, which means it's a reliability, a reliance upon and trust in God. See, the biblical language of faith concerns relationships. So where you're really going to need to live out faithfulness is in relationships, especially your relationship with Jesus. So to have faith in God or Jesus is to be faithful to a covenantal bond which was initiated by God, a bond that according um, to appropriate promises and expectations, it's on both sides. And it is an essential part of the nature of God. He is constant. He is stable. He is um, reliable. He is unwavering. It says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And 2 Timothy 2.13 reminds us of this. If we are unfaithful, which we are, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is, and he is faithful. So if you're like me, I grew up not having a lot of good examples of what faithfulness looks like. Uh, we see unfaithfulness all around us. We see it through broken marriages, broken families, broken promises, um, maybe you've been abandoned or left alone at your most vulnerable and lowest parts of your life. Um, you've depended on someone only to have been like ghosted, left alone, hung to dry, as they say, but like Ilsen was sharing, that throughout scripture, we discover that God is the only perfect example of what faithfulness looks like. Look at Lamentations chapter 3. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. 
His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And in Psalm 57, it says, For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. And so as people made in the image of God, we are called to be a people empowered by the Spirit to demonstrate faithfulness in our everyday lives. And no one is perfect, and we're all going to mess up when we do this, which is why we need the grace and the power of God. So how is God leading you in your life to exhibit more and greater measures of faithfulness in your life? If God has trusted you with the gift of singleness or marriage, how are you committed to integrity and keeping your vows despite temptations and pressure? Do you show up to work and start to when you're supposed to? If you asked your family or your friends what they can, if they can rely on you, what would they say? And Jesus says in Luke chapter 16, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? The Marines have a motto. There you go. Thank you. In Latin, that states their code of conduct in battle and in their affairs. Do you know what it is? Semper Fi, right? Semper Fidelis, always faithful is what it means. And what if in the battlefields of life we lived with this value? And I think what helps them live out this value is that they go through intense training and they develop a bond. And I think for you and I, one of the ways that we can continue to develop and grow in faithfulness is learning to stay committed even when it's hard. Man, staying committed to a plank for a whole minute, it hurts. It's painful. But guess what? The more that I did it, the longer I could hold it. Why? It's developed that muscle. Those muscles are now trained. And so I think faithfulness in the same way can do that. And see, you and I, we are on this journey of being more like Jesus, and that is what the fruit of the Spirit is supposed to do. It's supposed to be form in us this Christ-like character. And so growing the good stuff, we can do that because he is faithful. And because he is faithful, there is hope for us, and we can be people of faith that prevails and not bails. That's so good, you'll see I like when things rhyme. Faith that prevails, not fails. Man, she has. Man, so good. Gentleness. So how do we define gentleness? We can define it as not being severely harsh in word and deed. And another way to define it is great strength under control. So I'm a dad. I know I look like I'm 12, but, <laughs> but I, have, I have a three-year-old daughter. Her name is Eden, and one of our favorite things to do is we play together, and we love, we love, love, love to, to rough house. Any dads or parents in the room that just love to rough house with their kids? I see you, Mike. 
That's right. Yeah. And so when we, when we roughhouse, I I'll pick her up, I'll throw her in the air, I'll flip her around, I'll hang her by her feet and just like wiggle her around. We play hard. You guys, any parents like, yeah. So when I'm doing this, playing roughhouse with my daughter, my wife will, will notice and she's like, you need to stop playing so rough. Like, you need to be more gentle. And I, t- and I tell my wife, we're fine, we're fine. She's not, or Eden's not like bleeding. She's still breathing. So we're good. We can keep playing rough house. <laughs> and I think that parenthood um, has been good for you and me. It's helped develop or show us some of the stuff where we're really selfish, right? Um, for me, it's helped me and it's been good for me in helping to grow in my gentleness. Some of you have seen it happening live in our lobby. I'll be holding my sweet girl, Charlie Joy, while I'm having a conversation with you, and out of the blue, she will just slap me across the face. It's happened about three times. Um, and, you know, um, that's it's not my favorite. And what I want to do is I want to correct her, and I want to slap her hand. But what I do instead is I remind her, be gentle. And as I'm reminding her, I'm reminding myself, be gentle because I really want to slap back. <laughs> but that will not teach her not to, yes. not to be gentle. <gasps> yes. Yeah, and same with Ilsean, especially when I feel tired or cranky or hangry or when I feel rushed or in a hurry, my actions and my words tend to not be very gentle. I can be very harsh. And in addition, if you look throughout the New Testament and Scripture, Almost all of the examples that have to do with, like, calling us to greater gentleness have to do with how we treat others we disagree with. You just look at Twitter, read comment sections, look at the news. You're going to find very quickly that our culture is not very gentle. We are very harsh with our words and with our actions. Just read Proverbs 15. It says, a soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Jesus, he invites those who've experienced the harshness or the severity of the world to experience his gentle embrace. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus invites those who have experienced the harshness of the world to experience his gentle embrace. And, And as we spend time with Jesus, the gentle Jesus, we experience his gentleness, and we become more gentle in our words and actions. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, 5 on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the meek, or another word for that is gentle. Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. There's an inheritance that comes from living out gentleness in our lives. So it's a good thing to be gentle. So how is God leading you into greater gentleness? You may have that really annoying coworker. And every time you're around them, they just, they know how to push your buttons. 
and you just want to lash out at them and just, uh. but what it look like to be more gentle towards them? Or you see a post on social media that you completely disagree with, what would it look like to embody gentleness? Maybe it would look like, maybe, maybe I don't need to engage this, or maybe, maybe you post something that, that preserves their honor and their dignity as a person made in the image of God. Hmm. Or when, when your spouse or your children are driving you crazy, doesn't happen to me, <laughs> they're just driving you crazy and you feel frustrated with life and overwhelmed with the responsibilities and I've never done this I've never lost my temper but, <laughs> right. but you decide you know what instead of lashing out you pause and you pray ah, come Holy Spirit Holy Spirit come this is definitely not me you're driving on the highway and someone cuts you off Instead of road raging, I never do that. Just ask my wife. <laughs> you don't freak out. You don't lash out. You see, not lashing out not only takes gentleness, but it takes self-control. And so, so how do we define self-control? What is self-control? Self-control is the ability to regulate one's emotions, thoughts, and behavior in the face of temptations and impulses. You may struggle with self-control when it comes to a lot of different things, whether that be spending money or eating ice cream, like me, um, or your hobbies, spending three hours a day on pickleball, that's me too. Um, self-control is extremely difficult. Like we are constantly bombarded with advertisements, tempting us to buy the latest and greatest products. Or like for me too, Man, I'll just watch one more episode of Netflix. Just one more. Okay, so that when that episode ends, it ends on a cliffhanger. And you're like, ah, oh, I have to watch that one too. So you click next episode. You watch that episode. And then that one ends on a cliffhanger. Ah, oh, I gotta watch that one too. And there goes that three hours less sleep for me. And I wanna ask you guys a question. Are we controlled by the spirit or our flesh, or the self. Who controls us? Is it the spirit or the flesh? The answer is yes. So <laughs> what is this dynamic supposed to look like? Tim Mackey, he's a theologian and um, co-founder of Bible Project, which, is, which he founded right here in Portland. And he says, theology of the spirit is not about becoming a more serious, stoic, or disengaged person. The most spirit-filled people are the most fully human people you know. It is a human in control of their impulses and desires. The spirit is trying to pull us into greater humanity. And Jesus is the one human who lived this way. And we are being made into the image of Jesus. When the spirit is at work in our lives, he makes us most like ourselves as followers of Jesus. Amen. You see, self-control is not about not having emotions, desires, or impulses, but it's about fully experiencing those emotions and desires and impulses in the unique way that God has designed you within the boundaries of God's ideal. 
So with that, we just invite uh, the worship band to come back up. So, so what do we do with all this, all this being said? How is this relevant for our lives as followers of Jesus? And if you remember that Paul, he uses the, the metaphorical image of fruit to describe the Spirit's partnership with humans. The Spirit's role and job is to make the fruit grow. I'm going to say that again. The Spirit's role and job is to make the fruit grow. And our job is to continually, to daily say yes to the Spirit. Yes. Yes, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And the only way that we can cultivate a life filled with the good stuff or the good fruit of the Spirit is to continually surrender to the Spirit. And like Riker said, when we can surrender, we can surrender to our selfishness or sin, or we can surrender to the Spirit. But either way, you'll surrender to one or the other. See, in the way that we live a life led by the Spirit, verse 25 of Galatians 5 says, Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit, Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And the way that we live a life led by the Holy Spirit is to surrender our selfish ways. To walk in the Spirit is to walk along the path that He lays down. Not the path that's more convenient, not the path that's more comfortable, or not the path that's preferred, but the path that he shows us to follow. So this is what you can do starting today, and maybe it's a practice that you already have. So this will be a good reminder for you, that it's simply to say, Lord, Holy Spirit, today I surrender I surrender my will I surrender my thoughts I surrender my desires I surrender my heart my hands my feet all of me surrender to you and what you want to do through me because Paul reminds us in Romans that we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice that means we surrender our will we surrender we lay down our way and we let him lead we give him control yeah and we leave you with this question what does surrendering to the holy spirit look like for you in your life in this season because we're on this journey with jesus and maybe you've been the one driving and just having Jesus in the passenger seat this whole time. Maybe your next best step could be to say, Jesus, take the wheel for real. I don't want to be controlled by my selfishness, but by your spirit. So I want to invite you to close your eyes and to respond to God's word. A physical sign of surrender is raising your hands. So I invite you to raise your hands right where you are if you want to respond to the message today, whether you're here in person or joining us online with your palms facing up. 
as we pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit will empower us to cultivate a life of Holy Spirit fruitfulness. Apart from you, we cannot bear any fruit. Help us to surrender to you so that we may produce the good stuff, the good fruit. And you say that when we produce much fruit, we are truly your disciples. And that brings you great glory. And so we respond by saying yes to Jesus. And that means we have been crucified with Christ. And we now are resurrected with Jesus, who loved us and gave himself for us. Help us to surrender and receive the power of the Holy Spirit so that we may live with greater faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control as demonstrations of worship to you. And as you keep praying today, some of you may come to the realization that you actually really don't belong to Jesus or know Jesus, at least not yet. Because you can go to church and you can be around church people and you may even know some of the church stuff in the Bible but not really know Jesus personally. See, following Jesus is a relationship. God sent his son Jesus to show us who the Father is, and because we've sinned, Jesus gave his life, the perfect one, as an innocent sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. He forgives you, and you don't become better, you become different. The old is gone and the new has come, and then he doesn't just leave you there and say, good luck but he fills you with the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. You will belong to him, you will be different. You will have his power. So with everybody's eyes closed, if your prayer today is yes, Jesus, I give my life to you, I want your forgiveness. With everybody's eyes closed, would you look up at me so that I can agree with you if that is your prayer today just right where you are I see you I agree with you I see you I agree with you if there's anyone else just look up I see you okay no worries anyone else Lord Father we thank you and if you're online and you want to agree with this prayer you can comment, yes, Jesus, and we'll know that you're responding and we'll reach out to you to help you take the next step. Right there where you are, I just wanna pray this and I wanna invite you to pray this if you've said yes to Jesus today. Jesus, save me, forgive me, make me new. Fill me with your spirit so that I can walk in the spirit, so that I could follow you, so that I could choose what you want instead of what my selfish desires want. Lord, I give you my life. In Jesus' name, can we say amen?